to the Apostle Frederick Kaluluma podcast channel. Apostle Frederick is the senior pastor of the City of the Lord Church, and he has been anointed by God with a message that will take you deeper in your walk with Christ. We have the mission to bring hope to the hopeless, and we seek to build a community of believers founded on faith and walking in love until the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, if you would like to officially join the City of the Lord Church and get access to pastoral care, counsel, and one-on-one sessions with the man of God, fill in the form in the link below the podcast description. Now, here comes today's powerful word. It is your word. So grab your Bibles, pens, and notepads as we join Apostle Frederick from the City of the Lord Church in Lusaka, Zambia. Be blessed. We are looking at the realm of the Spirit. And our aim really is to demystify it in this series. And so today, we're going to look at a word that we use a lot. But perhaps, if I was to give a test on it, I'm not sure the extent to which we know what we are saying. You know, I realized, even as a pastor, I'm not talking about just um, everybody else, even as a pastor, it's very easy to just adopt certain things and never really understand them. So we're going to be looking at something very, very, very interesting. Something very interesting. We're going to be looking at altars. Okay, so a quick test. Have, ask your neighbor if they've ever used the word altar. <laughs> we demolish and bamboozle and <laughs> and panjamplate <laughs> every altar affecting my ministry sustenance. <laughs> Now, what does that word mean? Ask your neighbor, what does the word mean? I'll give you an example. I used to think, I don't know about you, but I used to think when I walk into a place, the first thing I have to do is demolish the strongholds in the air okay now all the strongholds now strongholds biblically are in the mind (laughs) so i realize that there are certain words that we need to have some knowledge of so yeah anyway the way you'll be after this lesson (laughs) now i want us first to understand ladies and gentlemen that there is a spiritual realm and it is real I'll give us three scriptures that show why the church must have an understanding of the spiritual realm. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Interesting. Distinct 
chapter 1, that's where you'll find the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Chapter 2, I think that's where you'll find that the spirit is our guarantee, right? Chapter 3, the spirit that you might be strengthened with might by the spirit in your inner man. Chapter 4, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Which one is chapter 5? Is it do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit? Chapter 6, be strong in this. It talks about, no, all prayer in the spirit. All prayer in the spirit. And there's probably even more when we go through. So it's a very interesting epistle. Now, it says, Blessed be the God and Father, I almost said Father, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, the interesting thing is, if you're using um, perhaps even a digital Bible, but if you're using a physical one, most likely you'll notice that the word places is in italics. How many of you have noticed that? The word places is slanting. I think even in the Bible on the phone, let me, let me just try to check. Even in, even in the Bible we, most of us use, is it you version? <laughs> they even know you could you version. I think you will notice, if you just look at it properly, that places is in italics. If you're using Eastward, you'll notice places is in gray. Now, the reason why places is in italics or it's gray is because the word, when you read it from the original Greek, you don't find the word places. You don't find the word places. But then in translating, there are times that words are added to make sense out of something. I'll give you an example. Just think about if you are to sometimes directly translate from Nyanja to English or Bemba to English, you might end up saying, he came to see me tomorrow because you're using the same word for everything. That's the way it is sometimes. So the word places was added. Look at it from NLT. You'll notice how that translation describes it. How we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we belong to Christ. It's like you can't necessarily find one word that defines this place that we are at. But our blessing has been given in the heavenly places. You might want to learn how to access the heavenly places. Imagine you are told, blessed is your daddy, who's given you every financial blessing in your ATM card. You might want to know the pin, and you might want to know how an ATM works, right? I hope you're getting me. Okay. Now, look at Ephesians chapter number 3, verse 10. I would have showed you from Ephesians 2, but that's coming in another lesson. Even these will be expounded later. Now, this is, this is the intent of God being shown. Now, look at this. It says, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. I don't know if you just read what I read. 
Maybe for context, let's go two verses before. Let's start from verse 8. To me, now he's, he's talking about what the Lord has done now. This is Paul saying, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Next verse. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. And then he says, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. The principalities and powers in the heavenly places are waiting for us to school them. Like, oh, this is how God thinks. This is how God works. If you read in Peter, when he talks about our salvation, he says, angels long to look into these things. I'll tell you this. Someone may have served my father for years and years. But I'm the one whom he told his ATM password. There are some secrets that belong to sons, not to servants. It's interesting. Let's, let's give, so have you noticed that our spiritual blessing is where? In the heavenly places. And then one of our roles as a church is to educate principalities and powers where? In the heavenly places. Let's look at Ephesians chapter number 6 verse 12. For we do not wrestle against John Cena and the rock. Oh my goodness, what version is that? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, where? In the heavenly places. Someone asked me a question in one of the groups, and they asked, saying, in Psalm 35, they saw David pray a prayer, and he was killing his enemies. So they asked me, should we do the same? So I was explaining how in the Old Testament the reality of the spiritual realm in the context of spiritual warfare was not as it is now. To deal with the spirit, you, only had, you had to deal with the person. That's the way it was. So their warfare was physical. Even the enemy came physically. <laughs> Elisha, the army that came didn't come with spiritual weapons. They came with physical ones. So you had to have an army. You had to learn to fight. Abraham had to learn to fight. Now in the New Testament, primarily our warfare is spiritual. It's spiritual. If a human being keeps insulting me, as a believer, I'm supposed to bless them and forgive them and leave it to God. However, if they decide to use spiritual means. There is a challenge there because in that realm, my weapons <laughs> are not carnal. <laughs> so, it's them who's putting themselves at a challenge because if I put an electric fence on my house and someone touches it, whatever happens to them is not my problem. <laughs> now, no, you will see as we go on. You understand how these things work. So ideally, our blessing is in the heavenly places. 
we have got a role to play in the heavenly places. In Ephesians 2, you will see that we are seated in the heavenly places. And in this portion of scripture, you notice that our warfare is in the heavenly places. So if we don't learn how to function in the heavenly places, then we'll have challenges. God wants the whole body of Christ to know about the spiritual realm. Now, why are we talking about altars? Why are we talking about altars? Because when you study the scriptures, you notice that whenever they wanted access to the spiritual realm, they built an altar. They built an altar. Now, just to clarify yet again, that in the spiritual realm, we don't just find our spiritual blessings and God. In the spiritual realm, we also find the kingdom of darkness. Satan has a kingdom. Jesus said, if Satan cast house Satan, how will his kingdom stand? Satan actually has a kingdom. He has a kingdom. And in his kingdom... That's why you find principalities, you find powers, you find rulers of darkness. Demons are really like the juniors. Those are not the big boys there. It's those which set global trends. And sometimes these global trends start like jokes. And then they will use culture, they will use music, they will use movies, they will use all those things. And then they begin to influence the way society thinks. And sometimes it will start like a joke. 10, 12, 13 years ago, I don't remember, there was a joke that started going around called No Homo. I don't know if you guys remember that. Like maybe a gentleman will hug a fellow gentleman will say, I love you, bro, no homo, or something like that. And so that concept started being embedded in the mindsets of people. As it stands, even when I'm preaching, I have to be careful how I phrase my words because Facebook can block this video for, for quoting the scriptures. Where do you think that's coming from? That's at a very high level of principalities and powers. It's a very high level. And its aim is to invade all mountains of influence, to invade the education sector, to invade every sector. I'll give you an example in the context of education. I'm yet to sit down and read any research that in any way, in any way, makes evolution empirical. I'm yet to read anything that makes evolution scientific. I'm yet to read. It's really, if they call what we believe dogma, then I don't understand the difference, if that's the case. But how is it that it has invaded the system so much that at a young age, I was taught that I came from Zinjathropas, <laughs> who I've never met. And when I saw the photos, it didn't look like my father. 
So there is a battle. And then you find principalities also govern territories. They govern territories. You find they will govern schools. They will govern places. Somebody went to that boarding school. They were just fine. They were just okay. By the time they were coming back, there was something else. Find there were things that were taking place in the realm of the spirit. So it's very, very, very important to understand how the spiritual realm works. And sometimes you can be able to tell. You can be able to tell. I said this several years ago. Since in, in here you've allowed me to be very frank, right? I, I said this several, several years ago. Several years ago, a very influential pastor made a statement. And that statement was more in the context of, I can say, extreme grace. Sort of like God will decide who will go to heaven or who won't. And I remember when I heard it, I mentioned that as time goes by, because of his rank in the realm of the spirit, you'll start to see a lot of this doctrine going about. A lot of it going about. And just like that, the moment those words were released in the spirit, Christians started having options. The road was no longer, the narrow path became wider. The way became a way. We are going somewhere. We are going somewhere. So the spiritual realm has got a way in which it functions. And one of the things that's necessary to understand is altars. Now, you will notice that whenever people wanted to interact with the spiritual realm in the Old Testament, they built altars, right? Look at Numbers 23. Now, how many of you remember that Balak hired Balaam to curse Israel because Balaam was known as a person who could flow in the spiritual realm? And so what does Balaam ask for? Look at Numbers 23. Let's start from verse 1. Then Balaam said to Balak, build seven altars for me here and prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. Now, an altar was simply a raised place. It was made differently sometimes with rocks and all those things. Uh-huh. Let's go on. And Balak did just as Balaam had spoken. And Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Let's go on. Then Balaam said to Balak, stand by your burnt offering and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me. And whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a desolate height. Next. And God met Balaam and said to him, I have prepared the seven altars. And I have offered on each of them, an, on each altar, a bull and a ram. Next verse. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, return to Balak and thus you shall speak. If you keep reading, this happened three, four times. But for all the times, an altar first had to be raised. And there was an expectation that once they raised an altar, they would hear from the divine. So now, I want us to understand this about altars. An altar is a place 
which has been consecrated for interactions between a physical and spiritual entity. It's been consecrated for interactions between a physical and spiritual entity. Have you ever visited a place that has demonic activities? Have you ever felt like you can, you can literally sense it like something is off. Something is off. Years ago, I visited a household. Somebody invited me and said, you know, you need to come pray for a um, certain woman. My mother, she's, she believes she's the Lord Jesus. So I knew something was off. Now by then, I had not yet caught the revelation of he sent them two by two. Might I mention something? I think certain situations you have to go two by two. There's a, there's a reason Jesus sent them two by two. I went alone. <laughs> no. So that the one Elisha can't, can't, can't deal with, Jehu will deal with. Two by two is always better. Two are better than one. They've got a greater reward for their labor. I went alone. And I remember I entered. And the place just felt weird. And weird. And say getting strange. And then the entire time when I was talking to her, I didn't even know I went. I was just zealous. So the entire time when I was talking to her, kids started like, there were kids running like in the passage. Like kids running in the passage. Running and running and running. And so I'm speaking to her. And she tells me, if you don't bow down before me, you will die in the next seven days. I wanted to reply, you're telling me I would die. Then I realized, wait, the daughter. So <laughs> I kept calm. Then within a few minutes, some man walks in and she turns and says, Angel Michael. I said, ah, I'm done. <laughs> I said, Excel, I'm deep in now. <laughs> now, so I walk out and I'm talking to the daughter and I said, Ish, I'll, keep, I'll keep praying. Then I said, anyways, who are those kids running around? And then she goes like, what kids? I said, ah. <laughs> I said, hey. I said, ah, okay. <laughs> Next time, <laughs> we go two by two. What I'm trying to say is that certain places can be consecrated and it seems that place became a portal where something spiritual, which wasn't God, had freedom to move about. That's why you find, you've heard of things like haunted houses. You know they actually are there. Yeah. So if you hear of any being sold at a cheap price, just tell me. <laughs> We know how to deal with them. We'll just deliver the world. We'll tell it you. That thing which you saw and see it. Creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God to deliver them. So what I'm trying to say is they are consecrated for interactions between a physical and spiritual entity. It begins with the acknowledgement that there is actually a spiritual realm and it is superior to the natural realm. And you'd find it interesting that altars sometimes are built in very different places. Though you will learn later on that the biggest place an altar can ever be built is your heart. But you will learn that later on as we continue.
Now, in today, I might focus a bit more on the other side because I've lined up an entire teaching where I'll tell you about the divine side. But I just want us to have a bit of insight because sometimes the reason why people struggle is either because they, are, they don't have accurate knowledge of God or they are ignorant of the enemy's devices. But people can build these things in different ways. There are some, and I'll speak very frankly, there are some graveyards which have become altars. There are some which have become altars. Am I free to talk? Yes. There is, I'll tell you a case I dealt with, which opened my eyes to those things. There's a case that I dealt with years ago. I was just a zealous teenager dealing with cases, doing what every teenager does. Now, someone came to see me, and from their appearance, the way they talked, the way they dressed and everything, they, they were a girl who were trying to be very guyish. And so we began to speak. And I've forgotten who I was with, but some of you might have been with me. So now I'm stretching my hand. I'm stretching my hand. And then suddenly I'm seeing in the realm of the spirit. And then in the realm of the spirit, I began seeing a graveyard. You are with me, right? Yeah. I began seeing that. And God showed me that that's, that was the father's. Right? Then I started seeing something very peculiar and the atmosphere started. It didn't look like a familiar spirit. It looked, it looked like, a, like a ghost, for lack of a better term. So I, I, I said, okay, anyway, sit. What's the story here? And I discovered that what the person had been doing now, I do get the fact that we all grieve differently, but sometimes that can be the most dangerous spirit. What the person had been doing is that they say, go in the graveyard almost every day or every week, and they would say, if you're there, talk to me. If you're there, talk to me, and they would share their problems. If you're there, talk to me, and say, okay, if you're really there, give me a sign. And then something dropped. So meaning, whereas for others, it's a place of going to remember, going to have memories, for that person now, that became an altar. Next thing, the person appeared in their dream and said, okay, I'm alive, but now I'll be your husband. And so almost every night, they were having such dreams. Why? It's because they consecrated a place for a spiritual and a physical realm to interact. But they did it wrongly. And that's why you must be very careful because that's one of the things Satan takes advantage of. Loss of a loved one, he takes advantage of it. There are certain things you should just accept. By, by accept, I mean accept the fact that uh, God has given them a special place which they will always have, but they don't talk to us. We don't chat. We don't interact. Accept that. Otherwise, you end up being, there are people who've been deceived. Well, they start dreaming of the person every night. They, they familiarize, they have conversations. It's not reminiscing, it's literally conversations. And then before you know it, they're being told, it's that one. Next thing they're being told, deal with that one. Next, what starts happening? Satan starts using an emotional connection you have to fulfill his will. And these are things you must be very, very careful about very careful about. 
Allow me to pray this prayer over you. For anyone who's ever suffered a loss, any negative word that you spoke, I renounce it in Jesus' name. And if anyone spoke a negative word over you, I renounce it in Jesus' name. Ladies and gentlemen, whenever you attend a funeral and you hear someone grabbing someone, they will just suffer. You'll be saying, I reject. I reject. Because those are negative words that can have that can have an issue on a person's life. And people can, they're already dealing with stuff. They can start dealing with more things that they are not supposed to deal with. And remember, Satan doesn't care. So in that moment, you have the responsibility because they may not be at the place emotionally where they can handle those things. That's why never neglect to intercede for a person. Don't just say, I'll pray for you, I'll be, I'm there for you. Actually get on your knees and say, I'm praying for that one. Anyways, we've not even yet started. Now, the reason altars are, are erected is because people understand that a human being can evoke the spiritual realm through physical things. Now, a few things that you must understand about an altar. Number one, they're dedicated to a particular entity. Every altar is dedicated to a particular entity. Number two, every altar requires a sacrifice to be on it. Number three, every altar requires a priest to service it. Praise God. I want you to understand that. Every altar is dedicated to a particular spiritual entity. Every altar has a sacrifice that must be put on it. And every altar needs a priest to service it. And when that happens, the altar will reward the person who's using it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you this. Because you have to understand this. There are people who have they've messed up at work. Messed up completely. They're just about to get fired. They take a trip. They come back and it's blamed on you. And they are spared. It means there's a particular priest they are servicing who's servicing a particular order and there are one or two things that are going on. And there are people who've learned to do that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is one of the reasons why when God would speak to the Israelites and they would go to a new land, one of the very first things that would be said would be destroy the waters. Look at Exodus 34 verse 13. I'll explain it shortly and you'll see some Examples. Exodus 34, verse 13. What does it say? But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. You find this all over the scriptures. Every time they would invade a new land, the first thing they would deal with is the altars. That's the first thing that they would deal with. 
Now, ladies and gentlemen, altars work in such a way that they pay you back for what you give them. So I'll give you an example. A person today decides that in order to survive, they've realized they're broke, they've got absolutely no money. Their rent is due 15 days ago. They need to pay for so many things. And they realize that, okay, fine, in order to pay this, I'll give my body to a man, and then that man will give me money in exchange for my body. What they are doing in that moment is that they are offering their body as a living sacrifice to the God of this world. The God that governs the darkness that causes men to go sleep with prostitutes, that's the one they're offering to. Because it's darkness. And then in return, the God of this world pays them back with money. And then the way altars are is that they're very demanding. So the person will tell themselves that they'll do it once and that's it. It will demand again. It will demand again. Before they know it, they believe every day is an emergency. Someone once told me, Apostle, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't have the money. If I had the money, I said, how much have you made? Said, what have you done with the money? The God of this world will promise fast money. And to get out from that life to a life of slower money, you find a person will be thinking, I could have just called three people and right now I would have had a 10 pin. It means there's an altar that they've started servicing which now demands of them whenever it feels like. And then it pays them. And it pays them in money. But that won't be the final payment. Because ultimately the altar of sin has got a wage that it gives. And that wage is called death. It says the wages of sin is death. I can use the same example on the flip side. You find somebody decides, let me service an altar of the God of this world that gives money by making a ritual killing. Usually that won't be the first, that won't be the last one they'll make. They'll start to demand for another person. Some of us may not think these things are real. Uh, we once had an experience years ago. Years ago, what an experience where my dad was in a car crash. He survived. And how he survived, that morning my mom woke up at two and just started speaking in tongues. We were so irritated. And she was just, we were irritated, I tell you. So, what's wrong with her? I want to sleep. And, you know, it just so happened that that night we were keeping her company in a room. So, we were watching TV and we all dozed off. And then she just woke up. And he literally came out 
with a scratch and it was bad. The next day his brother, the next day somebody else. Next thing we hear, a relative was not well. Before we knew it, we were being told, I want to confess. I'm serious. And before we knew it, we were being told, okay, look, I joined these things and so they demanded a sacrifice of this. Haven't you ever seen in the scriptures where it says pray because not all men are of the faith? That's what the Bible says. There are some people who couldn't care less what happens to you as long as they get what they want. You can't afford to not be prayerful. I know what I'm talking about because I'm an example of that. Do you think Satan wants me alive with the way your minds are being opened like this? Couldn't care less, eh? <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is it's always demanding. It's always demanding. Haven't you noticed that a person who becomes rich through corruption always try to be corrupt even when they are wealthy no seriously you find someone has got money to buy the whole Zambia but they will still bribe for a two pin it's the way those things work and that's why there are certain things you must be careful about certain things you must be very careful about another thing you must be really careful about is how you use your body be very careful about how you use your body. Don't let YouTube fool you. Don't let the movies fool you. Don't let the movies fool you. Don't let uh, culture, all those things fool you. The easiest way that devils are transferred is when the marriage bed is defiled. And I'll tell you how, <laughs> if you've studied Romans 1, just go read Romans 1 you'll notice how lust works and that's when you see an altar with it because Romans 1 shows you that it gets worse. It doesn't stay on one level. It gets worse. That's the way it works. It gets worse. It gets worse. The Bible says God gave them over so that they could get worse and he would punish them more. Study Romans 1, you'll see that. It gets worse. There are things that a person told themselves at 15, no, I'm just going to try this, but I can never do that. Then there are 20, they're an expert at that, but they say, but no, that I can never do. Before they know it, there's, no, there's nothing in the syllabus that they've not done. Why? Because that's the way last works. It demands of a person. That's the way it works. Is somebody following? I've not gotten a lot of haze today. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, altars work in such a way that they are demanding. What got you up is what keeps you there. They are demanding. And that's where now the ministry of deliverance comes in. That's where it comes in. I'll show you soon. So you find here's a couple, they really wanted a child. They couldn't have one. They went to a witch doctor. The witch doctor managed to maneuver because how, how witchcraft works is that it abuses the glories that God has deposited in different things such as blood, money, and all that kind of stuff, right? And a child is conceived. You'll find there will always be a demand over that child's life until we step in. 
there will always be. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me show you something. No, are there still good news? Someone would say, is there not good news? <laughs> now, I want you to understand, and I have skipped phases, because we're going to come and explain this, that in the same way, the altar of God is also very demanding. The altar of God is very demanding. If prayer got you there, it's only prayer that can maintain you. No. Think about this. If prayer is what got a man up, only prayer will keep that man up. If it's spiritual principles such as giving, that's, that's what will keep them up. And that's why you'll notice that when a person rises, usually the thing that Satan begins to fight in them is what got them up. I'll give you an example. It's very easy for me to now come and stand and say, hey, um, some people can pray six, seven hours. But sometimes it's just about what you've studied. You know, with your, when you've studied, you can set up a system like A, B, C, D. Was I always, did I always have these papers? No, I'm talking to myself. When I started doing ministry, what did I have to show apart from a grade 12 certificate? No, no, seriously, if you're not careful, you can neglect the very things that brought you up. The very things that brought you up. Now, what is Satan doing? Because you see as we go on about the personal altars, you'll see that Satan is weakening the strength of what makes you big. That's what he tried to do to David through his wife. Praise God. <laughs> the early church, they were very smart. There's a reason why the moment they noticed issues and realized that their time for prayer was being reduced, I'm sure they sat and thought, what will happen to the strength of the church? And they decided to set in place systems so that they could pray. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand this. The ultimate... What does an altar need? It needs a sacrifice, right? And it needs a priest to service it. And that determines the strength of it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll ask you this. When Satan is busy convincing people concerning normalizing abortions, what do you think is happening to that blood? Why such a high demand for blood from Satan? What do you think he's trying to do with it? Now, there's something I want to share very quickly because if I leave you in this place, some people will go home like, mm. <laughs> you ask the question, there was a time Jesus taught the disciples something. And they're like, hey, who then can be saved? <laughs> and that day he taught them on, I think he said it is hard for a rich man. No, it is easier for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. So either the disciples were rich or they were planning to be. Because they were like, hey, who then can be saved? If they were planning to be poor, <laughs> they would have said, hey, Fetuleia. <laughs> they were like, hey, <laughs> who then can be saved? Okay? And then if you notice the response that was given with man. 
<laughs> it's not possible. With God, all things are possible. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand this. That the strongest altar that has ever been there, that will ever be there, is a certain altar called the cross. I want you to understand that. I want you to understand that the strongest altar is the altar called the cross. And it's at that altar, people may have been looking at physical things, but that day was not a physical battle. It was a spiritual one. And I'm going to show you from the scriptures. I want you to notice something. Somebody say glory. glory. Say it one more time. Glory. Can you imagine that some principalities and powers learning this for the first time? Say hi to them. So, <laughs> you guys are following, right? I want you to see in the book of Matthew. Actually, let's use Luke's gospel. It's mentioned in Luke. I just want us to see something. If I were you, I wouldn't start off. You will go with an incomplete message. And I would also try not to miss next week because I've not finished. I'm in the introductions. <laughs> then I also wouldn't want to meet the other, miss the other week. Somebody say glory to God. Glory to God. Okay. So I want us to see this. Um, Luke chapter 22, verse 52. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I wish I knew the rest of the words, eh? Na 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 na. Hey, these weird things. Let's go. Then Jesus, you can hold on. Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him saying, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? Uh-huh. When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. So, imagine this. The disciples are just seeing men. Maybe look at it from verse 50. I want you to realize this. The disciples whose eyes were not opened at this point were just seeing men. And look at verse 49. 49. When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Because they were just seeing physical things. They were just seeing men. So they thought this is a physical battle. Uh -huh. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Next verse. But Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And the guy still continued. <laughs> and then Jesus said to the chief priests, so I want you to observe this. The disciples think it's physical. Even the chief priests think they are being physical. They think they just hate him. They just hate him naturally. 
You've read those statements before? I just hate that guy naturally. Okay. So, they're thinking they just naturally hate Jesus. And they hate him because he performs miracles. And it says, next verse. He says, when I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. So when Jesus opens his eyes, for him what he was seeing was not physical, it was spiritual. That's why if you read from, is it Matthew's account of it? When you read from there, have you noticed that he actually told Peter that, don't you know that I can pray to my father and he will send 12 legions of angels? Jesus knew this thing was more spiritual than physical. I'm sure the angels were all on guard. Like, just give us a signal and we will deal with these people. But then Jesus outsmarted them. They thought they were dealing with him. They were dealing with themselves. Now, there are so many things I can say about it. I think you've heard me teach it before. How that he was brought to the high priests. And if you remember, they put him in a robe. And what the high priest, I think the high priest tore his robe before Jesus, right? He tore his robe. What he didn't know is that by tearing his robe, he was giving Jesus permission to become the high priest. He didn't know that. And do you remember earlier they had said it is better for one man to die than for a whole nation to perish? They didn't know that in those words they were giving Jesus permission to die for the whole nation. <laughs> and then afterwards they bring him before Pilate and Pilate is now symbolizing the Gentiles. So Jesus now has permission to die for the Jews and the Gentiles. And then thinking they are mocking him, they even write on top of his altar, King of the Jews. Thinking they are mocking him. Not knowing they are fulfilling scripture. So they fulfill his blood is shed seven times and all that stuff. And then at the cross, he said something. He said, it is finished. I always wondered, what did he mean? What was finished? It means there is a fight that took place at the cross. You just, listen, I've always imagined it like he died and then went to fight. Is that really what the scripture says? Colossians 2. Colossians 2. Colossians 2. Verse... I want you to see verse 14 to 16. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You understand this better when we look at altars in the Old Testament, because there's a part where we'll look at the two altars of the tabernacle. You will understand. We'll look at all that. By the time we're done. <laughs> So he nailed it to the cross. Somebody asked me once, saying, Pastor, I wish I met you earlier. All oh, those things you are describing that we shouldn't do, I did. <laughs> I literally got a master's degree. Is there hope for me? I said, oh, come on, come on, come on. I said, <laughs> he wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against you. Do you know what it means to come under the lordship of someone? When you come under the lordship of someone, it means if anyone has an issue with you, they now have an issue with them. It means if you were owing, it's now them owing. 
Why do you think if a child is caught doing something, they call the parents? Why do you think if a child destroys property, it's the parents who pay? It means you're no longer a spiritual orphan. Because in the spiritual realm, you can be a spiritual orphan. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. So now, <laughs> and being a spiritual orphan is not a lack of a spiritual father. It's a lack of the Holy Spirit. So he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. So now, he, it's, it's very interesting. He says, so it means, here is the person. They fulfilled the syllabus of everything that should be fulfilled about the wrong orders. And they need salvation. And they say, Lord Jesus. That very moment, what then applies to them is whatever their master worked for. So here he is now, he's in front. And then he wiped out the handwriting of whatever was required against you. He wiped it out. He cleared your name. You know when you've got connections, a name can be cleared. I remembered something recently. Uh, the first time I traveled to South Africa, when I was on my way back, I had to... I was dealing with two airlines, not one. So airline number one had a delay, a big delay. And then I wasn't so smart back then in terms of travel. So I booked the two airlines like very close to each other. Like, you arrive in this side at 10, your next flight is at 10.45. And you know that's a taboo. <laughs> that's a taboo if you're flying. So, especially if it's not the same airline, because if it was the same airline, then if they delay, they will know how to compensate. So these other ones just said, we're sorry. <laughs> that's what they said. They just said, we are sorry. And my name was on the flight for 11. I checked my phone book. I realized there's a thing called connections. <laughs> and I realized there's someone I administered to who was working for the SA Airlines. They just told me, don't worry about it. Before I knew it, they, they shifted my flight. The delay continued. They shifted it again. So those guys don't know, but there was like a connection done. <laughs> now, what I'm trying to say is there's something Jesus did at that altar. Let's, let's continue. Colossians 2, verse 14. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Everybody say the cross. Verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In what? Look at the Amplified. I'll read it for you. Give me the Amplified, please. It says, God disarmed the principalities and powers that were arranged against us and made a bold display and public example of them in triumphing over them in him and in it, in brackets, the cross. You made the NLT. Because sometimes when we look at words like it, we forget the verse before. Give me the NLT. I'll read it for you. In this way, God disarmed the evil rulers and authority. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. 
So at the cross, as we may have just been seeing the physical part, <laughs> we may have just been seeing the physical part. In preparation for the altar, they are whipping Jesus. And everyone's just seeing Jesus. And people are thinking he's losing. Not knowing that they did that last. Their bet is forced down. Boom. In the spiritual. They did another one. HIV fell down. Like, oh my goodness, what's going on? They hit another one. Cancer fell down. Because at the cross, there's something that was happening. They wounded him. Suddenly, transgressions don't have powers over you. They bruise him. Suddenly, iniquities, those sins of your forefathers, those sins of Shancha, all of a sudden they realize, wait, 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 I no longer have a grip on that one. <laughs> they chastised him. All of a sudden, anxiety doesn't have power over you. Because the chastisement, the punishment for our peace was upon him. And so by the time he was saying it is finished, the strength of the altar of the cross, it meant that day there was nothing that, as in the strength of the altar of that cross was too strong. I mean the son of God shed his blood on that cross. It was too strong for anything to ever stand against it. So strong that it took away the sin of man. It didn't just compensate for it. It took away the sin of man. And now if there is a person who may be saying, Pastor, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've seen. You don't know what I was dedicated to. You don't know ABCD. The person can call upon the name of Jesus. <laughs> Someone can be saying, Pastor, you don't know what has been erected in my village. You don't know what in, you don't know what altars have been erected. You don't know what they say over me. Hey, the Bible says you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. Now, <laughs> no, let me show you something else it says. Look at Hebrews 12. Can and libre, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable number of angels. Next verse. The general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. We're not done. To Jesus. You have come to Jesus. Oh Lord, it doesn't end there. The mediator of the new covenant. Before we go to the next part. Now, like I said, we may have fallen in every category I've mentioned. Perhaps there is something. Maybe someone, you know, they pricked hands and hey, let's make a covenant, blah, 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 blah. Maybe someone defiled the marriage bed. Maybe someone uttered words they shouldn't have. Someone tried to join this, right? Or just in ways they didn't even know. They didn't even know what they were doing. There's a reason Jesus said they don't know what they're doing. And perhaps whatever you have done has provoked a voice that speaks against you. Guess what? And to the blood. That's already showing waters. To the blood of sprinkling. This blood is not quiet. 
This blood is not dormant. It says the blood that speaks better things than that of Abel. Now, why does it say better things than that of Abel? Because the blood of Abel was crying out, Vengeance! Vengeance! Avenge me! The blood of Abel was crying out to Cain, saying, Sinner! Sinner! This one must be punished! But there is a blood that you have come to. That blood says Jesus was already punished. That blood says Jesus already paid the price. That blood speaks righteous. That blood speaks grace. That blood speaks you have got boldness and freedom to come to the mercy seat of God. <laughs> that blood has brought you to the... And you will see as we go through a study that ultimately there is an altar in heaven. There is an altar in heaven. But guess what? Because of the blood of Jesus, we've now got confidence to enter the most holy place. People would go to altars because of an exchange. Look at Hebrews 4 verse 16. We've got, we've got boldness. Actually, not the most holy place. The holy of holies. That blood. Look at what it says. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Uh-huh. Next verse. Oh my goodness, I wanted to start from verse 14. Verse 14. Give me from verse 14. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Hallelujah. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Next verse. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Meaning, his, the high priest we have doesn't just want you on a good day. Doesn't just want you on, on, on your favorite day. Or doesn't just want you when you're at your most prayerful. Or that day you're at your most Christian, for lack of a better term. He wants you even on the day when you've messed up. Even on the day when you can't figure it out. Even on the day when you're struggling to figure out what life on earth is all about. Because he's willing to sympathize. He's willing to sympathize. Sometimes I picture it. I can almost imagine it. I picture maybe someone has lost a loved one and that loved one is in heaven. And maybe like some of the angels are like, ah, don't they know their loved one is in heaven? And I picture Jesus saying, no, 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 you've not been down there. <laughs> you don't know how it is down there. You don't know like, I knew Lazarus would resurrect, but I wept. That's the kind of high priest we've come to. The one who's willing to understand. The one who's willing to reason. And says, we've got a high priest who, look, he sympathizes with us. And so because of that, what can we do? We can come boldly to the throne of grace. That we obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. You understand as we go on. But the freedom God has given us is that with the altar in my heart, I can get on my knees and in the name of Jesus, I can connect to the altar of heaven. And it's just me before the throne of God. And I can exchange my weakness for his strength. I can exchange failure for victory. I can, the same way I was able to exchange sin for righteousness. So ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing to fear. He says, fear not, I am the first and the last.
I sense the holiness of God in the place. For a minute, raise your hands. We are before the throne of God. Just for a minute, raise your hands. we come boldly we come boldly we come boldly we come boldly forever you will be mm. the lamb upon the throne I gladly bow my knees for the next minute or two just focus like forget everyone else and just focus just focus mm, forever you will be forever you will be a lamb upon the throne. Arabasta da Galabacasu, Shabada da Galabacasa, Forever you will be Forever you will be The last 
the Lamb upon the throne, I gladly bow my knees. <laughs> and worship you, O oh Lord, and here I am. not yet born again it doesn't matter where you've been it doesn't matter what you've done you can tell when there's that God-sized hole you can tell when you need the Lord Jesus to become real and to become your Lord if you want to give your life to Christ today I want you to raise your hand I see that hand I want you to raise your hand I see it. I want you to raise your hand. Just raise them high. I see those. All those who've raised their hands, stand, 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 stand. Now, there could be more. There could be some who lost their way and would want to rededicate their life to God today. If you're among that group, lift your hands as well. Lift your hands. Lift your hands and stand, 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 stand. Wonderful. I want you to come to the altar. Come, come. Decided to follow Jesus. Say after me, say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. And I confess you as my Lord. No Amen. The world there goes the power of God. In the name of Jesus. Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Ministers, come pray for all of them. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord such a privilege to be able to do this and speak your blessing on your people. Wow. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
Blessed are your eyes because they see. Blessed are your ears because they hear. Blessed is your mind because it is tuned and it perceives the thoughts of God. Blessed is your heart because it is joyful. Blessed is your heart because it is joyful. I said blessed is your heart because it is joyful. I speak peace. The peace of God that guards the mind and heart. Your heart and mind is guarded in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Your physical body is blessed. I declare termination of any sickness that you may know of or may not know of. You are blessed in your going in. You are blessed in your going out. You are blessed on the road. You are blessed in the air. You are blessed in your home. You are blessed at your workplace. You are blessed at school. You are blessed in all your doings. Whatever you put your hands to do, it prospers. In the name of Jesus. Whatever you set your mind to do, it works. I declare in the name of Jesus that in this week, things that you've been waiting for for some time, you get to experience them this week. I declare that you come face to face with your hereafter. You greet it, you touch it, you encounter it, you embrace it, you grab a hold of it, and you walk in it. In the name of Jesus, the voice of the evil one is silenced. Any negative voice that speaks against you is silenced. Every word that has risen in judgment against you, we refute it in the name of Jesus. I declare it's your week of measurable progress. You'll be able to point at it. You'll be able to tangibly point at it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Okay, let's say the grace, the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives and we will dwell in the house of the Lord. Facebook at the city.